All right, everybody, welcome to New Life Church. Some of you guys are excited to be here to worship Jesus today. Yeah? All right, all right, come on, man. Like, that should be the attitude we come with, right? Look, we're coming to worship God. We're coming to have our hearts opened up to the truth of God. I know that some of you today are seeking God. You're, you're trying to discover who is he really and should I surrender my life to him? You're asking big questions. I just want you to know we love you at New Life Church. If you're asking big questions, you're searching after who God is. There is, there is really no, no question that's a wrong question when you're asking a question about who is God. And when you're asking that with an open heart, I just can guarantee you those who seek after the truth of God, they find him. And those, those who have found God, right? Am I right about that? It's true. It's true that when you seek after him with all your heart, you find him. And today we're going to wrap up a teaching series we just entitled Unwavering. Unwavering. And, and what, I, what we're doing with this series is that we're looking back at a, a biblical character. His name is Abraham. And we're discovering how Abraham had this unwavering uh, life before God, this unwavering faith, right, this unwavering dedication, and uh, many, many other things, unwavering calling, by the way. And today we want to talk about how Abraham had an unwavering hope. Come on, turn to somebody and say the word hope. Will you do that real quick? Hope, hope. That's what we're talking about. If you have your Bible with you, I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 17 and Romans chapter 4. Those are the two places you're going to want to be. I think there's also notes on version, and you can get those uh, by clicking the events and uh, finding New Life Church wherever you are. Uh, but I want to talk about hope, Genesis chapter 17, Romans chapter 4. Because if you put your hope in the wrong thing, you end up paying the price for that. Anybody ever discovered that in their life? You put your hope in the wrong thing, you end up paying the price for it. As a kid, uh, here's an embarrassing thing. I put my hope in that little drawstring on your swimsuit that holds it. You know that drawstring that you tighten up and you're like, there's no way this swimsuit can fall off. But as a kid in St. Louis, I went to the city pool and I dove in head first off the high dive. My swimsuit came right off that little skinny boy's body, right? And that was an embarrassing moment when you put your hope in the drawstring of that swimsuit. So watch out. A guy wants Near me, he put his hope in uh, an emergency brake of his car. It gave way, rolled down the hill, crashed right into my car. That's no fun, right? Back in 2009, I put my hope in something else. I purchased 500,000 Iraqi dinar currencies with the hope that it would turn into 500,000 U.S. dollars. This was 2009, right? It's worth $342.67 right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Big, wise investment. Although it only cost me $292, right, to get those. So from 2009 till now, wow, I've made some serious increase. All right, so you put your hope in the wrong thing, you're going to pay the price for it. And one thing I've noticed around our nation, and it just seems like it continues to increase, is that there is an attack on hope right now. I mean, in our nation, on the 4th of July... Right? There, there is this question in a lot of people's minds, like, am I even still proud of my nation? I want you to know you have every reason to be proud of this nation because I think that God is the one who established this nation and God's the one who's still in control of this nation. 
So if you're a veteran and you fought, right, and you stood next to other veterans that gave their life, you have a family where someone gave their life for this nation, it was not in vain. It was not in vain. I just want you to know that right now, um, that we celebrate the freedom that we have today. But I know that in our nation that uh, hope is under attack. 68% of Americans right now that think that their children will financially be worse off than they are. Violence is ripping our cities apart. Parents don't even feel comfortable to let their kids go out and play. How many guys remember like going out in the streets playing until it was dark, until your dad whistled and you knew it was his whistle and you came home? You know what I mean? Like parents don't even feel safe doing that. There's a polarizing fight over race, over the preborn, over politics. Um, many sectors of business are not even back to normal since COVID. And you put on top of all of that, right, this problem that's ever increasing called inflation. I'm telling you right now, hope is under attack. And although all of those issues I just listed and so many more I could have listed, they can't be solved with just like the snap of a finger. You can't solve those things just overnight. I want you to know that our God is bigger than all of those human problems. Amen? So hope itself will never be satisfied in the tangible. But this is what we're tempted to do. We're always tempted to satisfy hope with the tangible, something we can touch, we can feel, we can see, we can wrap our arms around it. It's a comfort blanket to us. Hope is. It's like that comfort pillow. It's that thing that you know, you, like you gotta have when you sleep. It's something like that. But I'm telling you, hope is never satisfied with the tangible. You'll never find true hope in wealth, education, organizations, or even the governments of man. God's word says this in Psalms 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? Question mark. No, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, those mountains are those things that we're trying to put our hope in. Those mountains are those things, like I'm trying to put my hope in my education, or if I can just get that promotion at work, or if I can just get over this medical diagnosis. If we can just get through this moment in our fa- with our family, if we can just get this debt paid down, if we can just, and it's always like hope is just over the mountain. And I'm telling you that when you try to put your hope in the mountain, the mountain will always let you down. Our hope comes from God. The, the psalmist says, the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of the mountain, by the way. Why put your hope in something that has been made by God when you can put your hope in the maker of the thing? Like, that's it. Like, you skip over the mountain, and you go straight to the maker. This is the same kind of hope that Abraham had at 99 years old, right? When God gave him a promise in Genesis chapter 17. This promise that God gave him was bigger than Abraham was ever going to see fulfilled in his life. I want to break this promise down for you because it really has three parts to it. That way you know what in the world we're talking about today, right? The first part of this promise was this, that God would bless him with many descendants, In Genesis chapter 17, verse 2, God says to Abraham, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you how many descendants? Countless. Countless. But remember, how old is Abraham? I just told you a second ago. 99 years old. His wife is 90 years old. And God's going, I'm going to give you descendants like you've never seen before. Right? And then moments later, God says, and I'm going to do it through Isaac, which, by the way, you're going to have a baby a year from now. Right? What in the world? Are you serious, God? Yeah, that's, that's it. That's part of the promise. That's the first part, descendants. 
The second part, God says this, that God would, God would make him the father of many nations. Look at verse 4. It says, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of, multi- of a multitude of nations. Not just a nation. That would be a feat all by itself. But a multitude of nations? I mean, that's mind-blowing, especially when you consider the fact that Abraham wasn't even the father of one nation at this time. And he's 99 years old. How much longer does he have? God knows. God's the one who's giving the promise here. So you've got descendants. We've got many nations. The third part of the promise was this, that God would give him and his descendants a land of their own. Look at verse 8. It says, I'll give the entire land of Canaan, right, where, where Israel is now, um, where, where you now live as a what? As a foreigner. As a foreigner. To you and to your descendants. It will be their possession for how long? Forever. And I will be their God. I just want you to notice. He was a foreigner living in a foreign land. Right? But God was preparing to make him and his descendants landowners. This was the promise that God was giving. I'm going to give you many descendants. I'm going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. And I'm going to give you a land. And that land is going to be yours forever. Now, it doesn't mean that they, didn't, they, they lived there forever because in their disobedience, things happened. And throughout the course of history, the Israelites were in and out of that land. But we know that this is their land. God brought them back to this land, and it was established as a nation. And here the Israelites live, even to this day. But do you realize, though, that this isn't just about the Israelites, that you and me are included in this promise? You and me sitting here today... We are part of the multitude of descendants that are countless. We are part of the multitude of nations, right? That's, that's us right here, right now. This was ordained by God before man ever decided to sail the, the blue seas and find this nation and discover it and establish it as a nation. Way before any of that happened, God had already deposited it into the heart of Abraham. Why? Because it was in God's heart. And I want to help you understand this. Romans chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 said this, that for Abraham is the father of how many who believe? All. That includes you. Abraham is the father of all who believe, including you. That is what the scriptures mean when when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham, and I want you to notice this. Notice why it happened. Okay? It wasn't just in God's heart. Abraham had a part to play in it. And for you and me, hope, there's a part that we have to play. And we want to talk about that now. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. It's powerful. There's a part that you and me have to play in letting hope be established in our life. And the first and foremost is this. The foundation of hope is built on faith in God. But not just any kind of faith. The kind of faith that Abraham had. The kind of faith that the dead things can come back to life. Dead people come back to life. That, you know, God has the ability to create new things out of nothing. Which, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, both of these things have happened inside of your heart. Once you were dead, but through Jesus now you're alive. Right? You're living this kind of faith right now. Once you were nothing, but through Jesus you've been made new. 
See, you're living the very kind of faith that Abraham believed. So that tells me that the, that the foundation of hope can be established in your life. And that hope is built on Christ and Christ alone. And without Christ, hope has no foundation to be built on. That's why I told you earlier, you can't build hope on tangible things. Hope gets built on the fact that Jesus is greater than all things. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's bigger than all of your problems and all of your circumstances. He's bigger than what's going on in our nation. Hope gets built on the foundation that Jesus is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, right? Hope gets built on that I see one thing, right, and it seems devastating, but God, you're bigger than this. Hope gets built there. That's the foundation of hope. It was true for Abraham, and it's true for you and me today. But the next thing we see in Abraham's life in allowing hope to really thrive in his life is that he recognized that hope is sustained through God's word. Today we have the Bible. Abraham didn't have the Bible. We have the Bible, and it's God's word to you and to me. I want you to know this. All right? You think sometimes you're just reading the Bible and you're just going through this spiritual discipline. But I want you to hear me loud and clear today. That when you're reading the Bible, each word that you're reading is God's voice speaking to you. The next time you go to read the Bible, I want you to recognize this is God's word. It's God's holy word. And when I'm reading it, God is speaking to me. Now, maybe you haven't never, maybe you've never heard the, the big audible voice of God, which few have had, to be quite honest. Right? Maybe you've never had the big vision or the big dream, which few have had. But let me tell you today that every one of you that have read God's word, right? And if I asked you to raise your hand, how I many people have read a scripture, at least a scripture, every hand would go up. I want you to know that when you read that scripture, that was God's voice speaking to you. You want to hear God's voice? Be in his word. You want hope to grow inside of your heart? Hope grows the more that you're hearing God's voice, meaning the more that you're in God's word. Romans chapter 4 verse 18 told us that even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham what? Kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Read those next few words with me. For God had said it to him he was believing he was hoping even when there was no reason to hope why because god's word spoke to him god said it to him that's how many this is what god said that's how many descendants that you will have and abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about a hundred years of age he figured his body was as good as dead and so was sarah's womb it's a good little scripture by the way Right? Like, he thought, like, what in the world? I'm 99. I'm good as dead. What? How can many descendants come? How can many nations come? Right? How can these blessings come, God? Like, this seems crazy. But even though he was looking crazy straight in the eye, hope was being sustained. Why? Because God had spoken. When God speaks to you through his word, guys, you can trust that. And I'm going to tell you right now, it'll give you life because it is life and it will sustain you. And even when you're staring crazy straight in the eye, even when it seems like it's impossible, right? Even when it seems like what you're facing, you'll never get over. I want you to know that God can sustain hope through his word. So trust God's word. Keep hoping and don't give up. 
I really felt like when I wrote that in my notes that that was for somebody today. Somebody here in this room needed to hear Whatever you're facing, whatever it is that's coming against you, whatever obstacle there is, whatever dream in your heart that you have that seems too big for life, I want you to know right now, keep hoping. Don't give up. If God's the one who put it in your heart, God will be the one that will he'll, he'll fulfill it. Even if it's bigger than your life, he'll fulfill it like Abraham's promise. Keep hoping. Don't give up. Lastly, though, I think Abraham really shows us that hope grows stronger as God gets bigger. I mean, hope grows stronger as God gets bigger. When I was a kid, man, I looked at my father. When I was a kid, just a little boy. I looked at my dad and I thought to myself, my dad could beat up anybody. Now, my dad wasn't a violent man. I don't even know why I had that thought. Right? I never saw my dad ever get in a fist fight with anybody. But when I was a little kid, man, and my dad could pick me up and throw me up in the air or whatever, you know, a dad can do to a little boy. I'm just telling you, it it seems like superhuman strength. When I was a little boy, I thought my dad could beat up anyone. He's stronger than anybody. I remember one day thinking to myself, I even told my dad this, you know, and he kind of chuckled. But I remember one day saying to my dad, Dad, you could be the president of the United States of America. I believe that about my dad. Right? I thought that's possible like he could do that if anybody could do it he could do it i'm here to tell you today that the bigger god is in your eyes the more hope you will have the bigger god is in your eyes the more hope you will have romans chapter 4 verse 20 says this abraham never wavered in believing god's promise in fact his faith did what it grew stronger and in this he brought glory to god He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. I mean, you see it like, you can almost see it happening. Like, Abraham's looking to God and he's going, you're big. You can do anything. And that hope grows stronger, guys, the bigger that God gets. So when God can do anything, hope increases. Right? So what we need to do, we need to come back to that childlike faith that looks at God like I looked at my dad and go, God, Anything is, is possible with you. Nothing is impossible with you, God. Like when, when we allow that to happen, and when, when hope grows stronger, it's because God got bigger. So let God get bigger in your heart. Let God get bigger in your vision. Let your imagination of what's possible with God increase. Because if that increases, guess what happens? Hope increases. And when you get your eyes off the struggles and the strife of this world, when you get your eyes off the things that frustrate you the most about this life, when you get your eyes off of those and you get your eyes onto a big God, it's amazing how hope increases in your heart. Amen? So what happens if you lack hope? Because I know that that's the reality. You know, I'm speaking to a room of people, all of our campuses and our online campus right now, I mean, Look, there's a lot of people listening to this message. And those who are listening to it afterwards, what happens if you lack hope? Well, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 tells us this. I pray that your hearts will be, watch this, flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he, being Jesus, has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I want you to notice, what caused confident hope to increase when our hearts were flooded with light 
Well, who is the light? Jesus is the one who called himself the light. I am the light of the world. So to have your heart flooded with light means this. You have to have your, your heart flooded with the truth of who Jesus is. You have to have your heart flooded with the love of Jesus. You have to have your heart flooded with the power of Jesus. And when Jesus is illuminated like that, guess what happens? Hope gets a chance to increase. Hope gets a chance to rise up. Confident hope, by the way. But I love that word flooded. It's not just when you have a trickle of Jesus in your life. It's not just when you have a trickle of the power of God in your life. It's when your heart is flooded with. Look, I don't want anybody to experience a flood, but when you experience a flood, it's more water than you want. There's not an, it's not by accident that that word's used here. Don't let your heart be flooded with. Let there be more than you can contain. Church, I think that one of the reasons why we lack hope is because we settle for less of Jesus than what we ought to. One of the reasons why we lack hope is because we lack passion in pursuing him. One of the reasons why we lack hope is because, you know what, Jesus, you're, you're a little unsafe. I'm going to keep you in the box on Sunday here. But the rest of the week, I got it. One of the reasons why we lack hope is because our hearts aren't being flooded with. We have just enough of Jesus to be dangerous, but our hearts are not flooded with. And the more your heart is flooded with the gospel of Christ, the word of God, the spirit of God reigning and ruling in your life, where Jesus dominates your life all throughout the week, Monday through Saturday, including Sunday, then all of a sudden your heart starts being flooded with the light. And what is the outcome of that? Hope. Hope starts to stir up inside of our hearts. But there are a lot of things that we let into our lives that are hope killers. There's a lot of things that are hope killers. The first thing I want to tell you about is a critical spirit. A critical spirit is a hope killer. Satan loves to feed critical thoughts into your heart and into my heart. I have to fight against this all the time. I have to guard against it. I find myself, I don't like it. I find myself opening my mouth and criticizing other spiritual leaders at times. That's what I find. I don't like that at all. In fact, when I see that in my life, it drives me to repentance before God, and it causes me to cry out to God, God, please change my heart. I don't want to have that kind of heart. I don't want to have that critical spirit, because when, when a critical spirit makes the soil of your heart hostile to hope, that's what a critical spirit does. Makes it hostile to hope. And guess what it does? It doesn't just pull you down. It pulls everyone else that's near you down with you. So a critical spirit is a hope killer. Let's work, let's see, is there any of that in our lives? What should we do? Repent, ask God, change my heart. When you see the negative before you see the positive, that's a hope killer. Anybody like that? Is it just me that sees everything that's wrong before I see what's right? No, I don't think so. I think there's a lot of us that are wired this way, right? And when we see, all we see is the negative, right? Then I'm telling you right now, that is a hope crusher, a hope killer in your life you got to fight against it i have to fight against it right i just got i have to do that so that cup half full or half empty really does matter and that's because humans as humans we're quick to do something we're quick to assume the worst before we assume the best and we don't even have the full story we don't even have all the details we're just we got one little sliver one little moment one little conversation 
and we just instantaneously assume the worst. Why? Because you got burnt in the past, because you got hurt in the past, and now everyone forward in your life has to pay a tax because of some knucklehead in your past? That's not fair. Don't make future people in your life pay a tax because someone else burnt you. Don't live your life that way. You're never going to have hope if you live your life that way. You're always going to see the critical. You're always going to see the negativity. Like, try fighting for assuming the best. you got to get through some things in your head. Because some thoughts come in and they start making you think weird stuff. you got to crush that down and start assuming the best before you're forced, by the way, to assume the worst. And there are times when the worst really is true. But if you start assuming the best, you'll end up in a healthy place. You start assuming the worst, you could end up in a disastrous place. So don't let that, don't let that crush hope and kill hope. Let me tell you another hope killer. Sitting, sitting in the stands versus being in the game. Sitting in the stands versus being in the game. What is the game? The game is activating your faith through serving. I want you to think about maybe watching a sports a sports event, something you were really passionate about, right, versus playing it. Did anybody here ever play a sport? Let me see your hands if you played a sport on a team of any kind. Okay, then you know the difference between sitting in the stands and playing in the game. Like you're playing the game, watch this, you're playing the game, you run a play, the play doesn't work. What do the players and the coach do? Come on, come on, let's get back here. Let's get back into the huddle. Let's call a new play. We got X amount of time. We got X amount of yards we have to go. We're talking football right now. Like, let's call another play. Let's make it happen. What do the people in the stands do? Oh, you idiots. I can't believe you guys did that again. If I was down there, I would call a different play. You guys are worthless. How do I ever come to these games? I can't believe it. If I was down there, I would run a different play. No, if you were down there, you'd be dead. Maybe when you weighed 150 and you were, you were good. But now you weigh 250. You're not, you're not going to live, all right? I'm going to tell you that right now. Like there's a big difference between being in the game. When you're in the game, if things get tough, you call a timeout, right? You get hope again. And you're like, come on, guys. We can do this. Let's run one more play. We got one second left. We're going to score a touchdown. Like you have to have that when you're in the game. But when you're in the stands... You call all the pot shots. So you, you, want, you want hope to get killed? Stay in, the, stay in the stands. Don't activate your faith. Don't serve. But when you activate your faith and you start serving, you get into the game. And all of a sudden, hope starts rising. Let me tell you one last hope killer. And that's sin-filled life. Obviously, this is like the basics here. But sin keeps your head in the murky clouds. If you've ever flown before, and you're, you're climbing out, and there's a cloud layer. you got to fly through the cloud layer before you ever bust out and you start seeing the sun again. And in that murkiness, sin causes us to live in that murkiness. But righteousness allows our head to, be, to rise above it. And all of a sudden, we see God again, and we see God at work. Sin in our lives, a life of sin, keeps our eyes blinded many times to what God is at work doing righteousness allows our eyes to see what God is at work doing. And when we see God at work, then hope fills our hearts. It would be like a soldier in Exodus chapter 17 when Moses is standing on the mountain. And Moses, when he raises the staff and he raises his hands, the Bible says that the soldiers in the battlefield, they started winning the battle. But when his arms got tired and his hands dropped, the soldiers in the battlefield started losing. 
Can you imagine being one of the soldiers in the battlefield? And you start noticing this, and you're like, hey, when Moses' hands are up, man, my sword just does everything. It's amazing. I feel like the three musketeers down here. But when Moses' hands go down, it's like I'm getting beat up. Can you imagine looking up at Moses and his hands are down? Where's your hope going to be? We're going to lose. There's no way we're going to win. Moses' hands are down. Can you imagine when Moses' hands go up and Aaron and her are holding his hands up? Then what happens in your heart? We got this, guys. Come on, let's take them. Right? You see what I'm saying? And you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, making flips, jumping over people. Right? You think movies should be shot about you because Moses' hands are up. I want you to know today, God's hands are raised over your life. You can have hope today. You can have hope in the victory in your life because God's hands are raised. God's hands are raised over this church, right? He loves his church. His hands are raised over his church. Watch this. God's hands are raised over our nation. His hands are up. The victory is right in front of you. God's hands are raised over your marriage. God's hands are raised over your family. I want you to know today, God's hands are raised. You're in the battlefield, and that's all you can see. Look up at the top of the mountain to the maker of the mountain. His hands are raised. Victory is yours. His hands are raised. And that's why we should hold hope on Romans 8, 31, that if God is for us, who can ever be against us? I love that verse. But all too often, people have no idea what the power of that verse and where the power of that verse comes from. Because if you don't read the next verse, you have nowhere to really anchor your hope. Here's where you should anchor it. Since God did not spare even his own son, this is the very next verse, 32. Since God did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? See, my hope, my hope isn't just anchored in verse 31. That if God's for us, who could ever be against us? My hope is in the evidence God gave up his own son. Now, can't I trust him for everything else? Yes, I should have hope for that. I should have hope that God will bless his children. That God will bless his children. He will give you victory in your life, in your marriage. He'll give you victory in, in your future. Let me wrap up with this. There was a man... And he was, he was walking by, and he saw these elephants that weren't in cages, and they weren't held by chains. But these elephants were just there, and they were being held by a small, thin rope anchored to a fairly, like, simple wooden stake in the ground. As the man walked by, he was confused, and he stopped, and he was like, why aren't those elephants escaping? Like, what's keeping those elephants there? Those elephants are surely strong enough to break that simple little rope. Like, don't they know this? Are they, are they good with this? Like, are these elephants on drugs or something? Like, why aren't these elephants breaking out of this? And it baffled him, and it caused him to get to this place where he had to ask a question. So he found the elephant trainer. And he found that trainer, and he pulled him over to the side. He said, sir, you got to help me understand this. Like, why are those elephants not trying to break free? Is that simple little rope seriously what's holding them there? And the elephant trainer kind of chuckled and he said, Sir, 
look, we've had these elephants ever since they were these little babies. When they were small and they had no power to them, we tied this little rope around their, their one foot and we anchored it to a wooden stake. And at that stage, they were not strong enough. Oh, they pulled against it a number of times, but they were never strong enough to really break the rope. And then over time, they just have come to believe that as they got larger and stronger, that that rope around that one foot, they can never break free from it, so they've never tried again. They got defeated. They lost the hope. And so now they don't even fight against them. They just stay there, and I don't have to even worry about them. All night long, I have nothing to worry about. Those elephants will be there in the morning. And the man obviously was baffled by the fact that these elephants had lost this hope. And the only reason that the elephants weren't breaking free, guys, and escaping from the camp was that over time they had adopted the belief that it just wasn't possible. They had lost hope. They had lost hope. When you lose hope, it's a devastating thing. When you lose hope, you, you cease to remember the power of God that's living in you. When you lose hope, you, you forget about the freedom that through Christ you were really meant to have. See, we all have lies from our past that are trapping us from living maybe free today. And I want you to know today that hope is the secret weapon for cutting those ropes. Hope is the secret we weapon that gives you the courage to break the rope. I want you to know today that you don't have to live trapped by false beliefs, a lack of confidence, or even the lies from your past, I want you to know today that hope in Jesus can break ropes. Hope in Jesus can break you out of the funk that you're in. Hope in Jesus can break you out of the lies that you're living in. It can break through the lack of confidence that you have right now. Hope in Jesus, right? It can restore purpose to your life. Hope in God's word can give you the strength to walk away from those ropes. To shake your foot out of it and go, I am free. Why? Because God's word gets into your heart and you start hearing God's voice and it starts sustaining hope in you. Hope in the power of God can give you the courage to be set free from the ropes. It can give you the courage just to yank it and yank the stake right out of the ground. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world, church. So when a person is full of hope, I believe that they're unstoppable. So today I want to challenge you. Put your hope in our unstoppable God and let him bring the freedom to your life. Put your hope in our unstoppable God and let him bring freedom to your life. Why don't you stand with me? Let me pray for you. Lord, through Abraham's life, you have given us a beautiful picture of hope. That even when it seemed crazy, 99 years old and you're giving him this promise, Abraham's looking at his life and he's like, God, like, I am done here. Like, how can anything else good happen? I'm over the hill. Like, I'm ready to cash it in. God, you were just getting started. But Lord, somehow Abraham latched onto your promise and he had hope. He had hope because of the faith he had in you. He had hope because of your words spoken to him. He had hope because of he knew you were an all-powerful God. Can you, can you just simply bring us back to those three things, God? And would you give us the hope to see the ropes in our life broken? See the hope. We see hope increase to see freedom once again be restored to our life. Let hope fill our hearts so that 
on the heels of hope, joy would once again fill our hearts. Lord, let hope break through so that on the heels of hope, peace would fill our hearts again. Lord, let hope break through today. Flood our hearts with the light of Jesus Christ and let hope break through. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.